Welcome to the Bible Unthumped. I'm David Kay. I'm not a scholar of the Bible, but I've spent my entire life reading and studying it, and I've found that many people really don't understand the Bible they're thumping. So on this podcast, we get into the story behind the stories that were collected into books that became the book we know today as the Bible. You can have faith and still ask questions. This is the Bible Unthumped. We have been talking about the creation stories in the Bible, which appear back-to-back in Genesis. We have spent two episodes each on the story of the Garden of Eden version and the seven-day creation version. Today, we are going to hold these two stories up next to each other and do a little compare and contrast. And then we will talk a little about how these stories compare to the explanations we have from science about how things came to be. Let's start by noting something that these two stories share in common, something very obvious. These two stories made it into the Bible. They are both parts of the Israelite written tradition. While they were written centuries apart, some editor, likely during the Persian period of Jewish history, sometime after the Babylonian exile, that is, between roughly the 530s and 330s BC, felt that they both belonged in the core collection of Jewish texts. Go back and listen to episode 2.3 if you want more details on that period of history. The editor situated the stories here at the outset of the text collection, which makes sense, and preserved them, seemingly intact, even though they are rather different stories. Jews probably knew of, and told, and drew upon other ideas of creation too, not just these two versions. If something eventually made it into the Bible, it clearly got passed down and copied. But lots of other Hebrew literature has been lost to time, stuff that didn't make it in, stuff that didn't get copied and passed down like these two stories. To illustrate what may have been lost, we can mention Leviathan, a great sea monster associated with the watery chaos that God subdued in creation. Leviathan is borrowed from Canaanite myths and appears in Job, Isaiah, and the Psalms, but there is no mention of the sea monster back in Genesis. Israel knew about the sea monster, figured it into their cultural imagery of creation, but Leviathan wasn't part of the preserved Genesis stories. Point being, Israelites had a variety of stories and conceptions about God's creations. Some just didn't make it in. The seven-day creation story and the Garden of Eden creation story survived by eventually becoming biblical. Included, that is, in the compilation we call the Bible. Why, then, did the editor include these two different stories, do you think? If there were a wide variety anyway, why not just pick one? To me, it's a little like if you were editing together a work on the legends about King Arthur. But in the legends, you may know there are two very different stories about how Arthur became the king by receiving the sword Excalibur. In one version, he reveals his royal identity by drawing the sword out of the stone. But in the other notable version, Arthur receives the sword from the Lady of the Lake. Well, the story of King Arthur and his sword can't be both ways, so which story do you include? Well, why choose? Both stories are really important to the Arthurian legends, so just put in both the Sword in the Stone and the Lady of the Lake versions into your compilation. The editor of Genesis did the same thing. For the reading pleasure and edification of the Jewish community, he provided both the seven-day version and the Garden of Eden version. They don't have to match to be worthy of inclusion. It is worth noting that these stories don't figure prominently in the unfolding of the Jewish cultural narrative. They just weren't that important to ancient Jews, apparently, even though they are among the first stories we learn in Sunday school. 
Adam and Eve, for example, are never mentioned again in the entire Old Testament, except for one quick genealogy that starts with Adam in Chronicles, a very late text. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, and David are pretty critical, mentioned many dozens of times, but not Adam and Eve. It's only when the religious story starts to include non-Jews, when Paul becomes the apostle to the Gentiles, that is, that stories representing pre-Judaism become infused with new meanings. If we want the Gentiles to have something to do with the Jewish story, we need to appeal to something pre-Jewish, something going back to the beginning of things. And among the Jewish texts, helpfully, there were a couple of such stories to draw on. Paul and later Christians pulled Adam back into the narrative by conceiving of the fall, a very important doctrine in many Christian traditions. Both of our Israelite storytellers lived in the first millennium BC, during the Iron Age. They lived thousands of years, that is, after the creative events they purport to describe. The storytellers weren't there to observe the shaping of the cosmos and the origins of life, of course. They offer fantastic stories about creation, but these are not first-hand accounts. Our storytellers were downstream from many generations of earlier storytellers in the ancient Near East. Storytellers in Mesopotamia and Egypt and Canaan who had for centuries been formulating ideas about the cosmos, describing how the gods made human beings out of clay or dirt figures, about the subduction of the watery chaos, and offering myths involving sneaky snakes and magic plants. Even though these earlier ancient storytellers were also not there to witness the formation of the earth, they left their own narrative legacies, writing engaging creation stories that the Israelite writers could use. The two Bible stories they crafted have much in common, in spite of some fundamental differences. Both stories are etiologies, as you've heard me say on several occasions in recent episodes. They tell stories about how things came to be. The seven-day story is primarily concerned with the created order, how the structure of the cosmos came to be, and how it was filled with life, and how the recurring seven-day cadence of Jewish life was established, each week culminating in a Sabbath rest. The Garden of Eden story is an etiology about humans as laborers, especially concerning agricultural labor as punishment. Both stories feature a single God as the Creator, though one calls the Creator Elohim and the other calls Him Yahweh. One is holy and aloof, and the other goes for walks. Both speak of divinity as plural, not singular. In the seven-day story, humans and everything else are spoken into existence. In Eden, though, humans are crafted into existence from dirt and bone. In the Eden story, we get the patriarchy, loud and clear. The man is made first. The woman is made from the man. The woman's job in Eden is to help the man. And when she is punished, the woman is specifically made subject to the man. Not so egalitarian. But in the seven-day story, we see that the humans are depicted on equal footing. Male and female, he created them, image-bearers of God, introduced in the same moment in the story, in the same creative act. As humankind, they are together given charge over the earthly things. You see how easy it is to get mixed messages about how men and women relate to each other, biblically speaking. But then in Judaism, dispute is part and parcel of the practice of faith. 
Both stories have distinct beginnings, middles, and ends, just like good stories should. While a seven-day story is much more structured, with its repeating numbers and rigid, chart-bound narrative, the Eden story is much more plot and character-driven, the sort of story you might pitch to a filmmaker. To illustrate the independence of the stories, consider their openings and closings, in paraphrase. The seven-day story starts with Genesis 1, 1-2, with Once upon a time when God began shaping the heavens and the earth, the world was a chaotic mess. The story ends when the world has been put in order, at chapter 2, verse 4, with a very succinct bookend sentence. This is the story of the heavens and the earth when they were given shape. The end clearly repeats the beginning. The Eden story starts with how, once upon a time, there were no crops and no farmers, and then it ends almost two chapters later with how the man has been made to work the ground to grow crops as a farmer. Two stories with two beginnings and two story endings that you can plainly see in the text if you know how to look. Complete narrative arcs, neat bookends, once upon a time, and the end. More on this two-story distinction if you want to re-listen to episode 3.1. These are two stories that you'd never be inclined to correlate with each other, to assume had a relationship with each other, except for the fact that you've probably been told to do so. It might help you lose the temptation to fuse these two stories into one if I point out a problem in the content that bothered me even as a kid, who was just trying to get along with his evangelical tradition. The problem concerns day six. On day six in the seven-day story, you get the creation of land animals, including humans. One 24-hour period. Assume that you must, as I was always told to do, make the Eden story jive with the seven-day story. Well, if animals and humans were made in just one day, then somehow you have an overwhelming amount of plot unfolding in Eden that has to get crammed into 24 hours. God makes the man from clay, brings him to life with breath, places him in the garden as the garden worker. Then at some point later, it becomes clear to God that Adam needs a helper. So he makes each of the many types of animals and brings them to the garden to see if they can be helpers for Adam. They go on sort of parade in front of Adam. He names them all, but they all prove to be ill-suited to the task of assistant. So God puts Adam in a deep sleep. He then removes one of his ribs, closes back up his side, and then God carves the rib into another creature, a woman, and she proves to be a good helper. Are you telling me all of that happened on one day? Is that what the listener is supposed to assume about day six? Hmm, yeah, maybe not. Not only is this too much action for one day, but the sequence of things is problematic here too. In one story, it is first animals, starting with birds and fish, and then humans. In the other story, it is human man, then animals, then human woman. As an unthumper myself, I've learned that if I had doubts as a kid, those were probably really good doubts. I've also learned that if I have to contort my brain to make Bible stories line up and goose step, something's not right. In those instances, I've probably pledged allegiance to my assumptions about the Bible and not to the Bible itself. Speaking of not lining up, there are fundamental differences between these two stories on one particular subject I want to discuss. They pretty much have opposite lessons, in fact, when it comes to the matter of divinity in humanity. 
Both stories in Genesis assume a special status for humans in creation. Humans, we are told, have a spark of divinity in them. But how did it come to be this way? What's the lesson of the etiology? Well, in one story, humans bear the image of God because God made them that way. Insofar as humans are like God, it is his gift, it is his intention. But in the other story, humans steal their godlikeness, an act of disobedience. The snake told them that they could be like the gods, and so they take divinity for themselves by eating from the forbidden tree. Image-bearing in the Eden story is decidedly not the gift of God. The humans are severely punished for their overreach. Are humans supposed to be like God? If you read Genesis, the answer is absolutely yes and definitely no. Which storyteller do you prefer? In Persian texts, you learn that the Lord of Light made the metallic sky, then water, then plants, and humans, and fire, all of which were attacked by the great evil spirit, making the water bitter, and the land full of rugged mountains, the plants full of thorns, and the humans full of sickness. The Aztecs taught that Earth was ruled by a series of five sun gods. The first four destroyed in succession, and humans destroyed too, by drought, by a downpour of blood, and by an attack of jaguars, before the current creation under the current sun. For the Egyptians, creation began when a pyramid emerged out of the waters, and in ancient China it was believed that, after 18,000 years of cosmic chaos, a demigod split yin from yang with his axe, creating the heavens and the earth. I've never spoken to anyone who put stock in these creation stories I just mentioned, who thought they recounted real historical events who thought they offered scientifically valid explanations for our world. For you and me, listener, our religion and our culture are not downstream from those particular stories. So the ancient Aztec and Egyptian and Chinese storytellers seem fanciful, ridiculous even, certainly not accurate. We believe instead in humans made from dirt and rib bones, in magic fruit trees, in the emergence of all the cosmos during a well-ordered week, and in animals that can talk. Those fanciful story ideas, after all, made it into the Bible. Aztec and Chinese stories did not. Civilization, including the practice of writing, dates back about 6,000 years. The early Near Eastern creation stories from Egypt and Mesopotamia date back 4,000-ish years and the two Genesis stories that borrow from those earlier creation stories date back a bit less than 3,000 years. These Genesis stories were collected together along with all of the other Old Testament material about 2,400 years ago. And the Christian Bible as a semi-standard anthology of books dates back almost 1,700 years. The scientific revolution began during the late Renaissance, less than 500 years ago. Since then, Science has ruled out any factual basis for ancient creation storytelling, Egyptian, Aztec, and Israelite alike. It has not, though, ruled out the literary uses and sense of cultural identity that derive from storytelling. Cultural historians are not scientists, and vice versa. Thanks to Aristarchus, Copernicus, Galileo, and 20th century space exploration, we know that our cosmos is quite different from the way ancient people assumed it to be. 
The sun, moon, and stars don't travel across the surface of a dome that holds up a sky ocean, thanks to air travel, among many other things. Flying around the globe in both directions tells us that our Earth is not a flat thing resting at the bottom of a snow globe. Thanks to geneticists, we know that our most recent matrilineal ancestor lived in East Africa about 155,000 years ago. Scientists call her mitochondrial Eve, in a light-hearted nod to the Garden of Eden story. Thanks to thermodynamics, physics, and astronomy, we can estimate the age of the universe at 13.8 billion years. And thanks to paleogeology, we know that our planet is roughly 4.5 billion years old. We know that the formation of it all took longer than six literal days. Science probably doesn't miscalculate by 13.799999 billion years, you know. Paleobiology tells us that there have been five major extinction events in the history of animal life on Earth. The most recent of these killed off the dinosaurs. About 66 million years before the Genesis storytellers came along, so no, Adam and Eve didn't hang out in the garden with Triceratops and Brontosaurus, though I was told they did, and I really resent that today. The historical method, basing history on verifiable evidence about the past, is largely a product of the 18th century Enlightenment, allowing us to write history textbooks alongside our science and other textbooks. No part of the Bible or of any other ancient Near Eastern writing should be thought of as a textbook because, well, there was no such thing as textbooks back then, so they couldn't write them. Ancient Near Eastern writings, including the parts about Adam, Eve, the snake, and the snow globe, predate history and science by a few millennia. I encourage you to let stories be what they are, and don't ask them to be something they just cannot be. Science is science. History is history. Stories are stories. Thanks for listening to this episode arc on the subject of creation in the Bible, and thanks for indulging me some of my frustrated, unthumped perspective today. We will finish it up next time with one of our interview episodes, so I hope you will tune in for that. In our interviews, we'll talk about questions that you, the listeners, submit to the podcast. So if you have questions about the creation stories in Genesis, please email those to thebibleunthumped@gmail.com. Less thumping, more understanding. See you next time.